Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is 6.07 in the Twin Cities, 38 degrees. Great to be with you on a Saturday night along with Susan Blanche, the producer of the show, the person who's holding it all together, keeping us on the air. Great to see you, Susan. Haven't seen you in ages. No, I know. We used to work together moons ago moons producing the show. And then when I got moved to afternoons, they took me off of weekends yeah. too. And so now it's great to be back working with you. I love your topics and I love working oh, with well, you. Oh, you're so nice. Well, you, you set everything up, including our first topic, taxes, folks. Yes, it is tax day on Monday. And guess who is coming to town to talk about tax day? President Donald Trump is he could have come anywhere in the country and we're going to talk about why he's coming here a little later in this show but it is he's coming here on tax day and the president is saying and heralding his tax cuts saying hey this was good for America this was good for you this was good for working people this was good for businesses the only trouble is that millions of Americans are discovering they're not getting the refunds that they thought they were going to and what has supposedly happened is that they got a little bit more every week in their paycheck. And sometimes that little bit doesn't show up that much because it's, you know, $50 here. So, you know, it's $100 a month and that's $1,200. That's real money. But that's what the president is saying is you got more all during the year. Some people are skeptical of that. Also, folks, they're changing the whole system it could be as soon as next year in terms of withholdings. What does this all mean? Joining us right now, Wade Christensen. He is a CPA and a partner with Frayling Anderson. Wade, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You've got to be super busy. Yes, my pleasure, Esme. Happy to do it. All right. Are you pulling like an all-nighter at your at your office? Or? No, I'll be done probably about 1 a.m. Oh, 1 a.m. Okay. <laughs> oh, gee, that, just 1 a.m. Um, let me ask you, from your perspective – I might imagine that doing the taxes that you've done every year and for years, I'm sure you have the same people that you do year after year after year. Is it more difficult this year because of the fact that Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, missed the boat and did not uh, coordinate and and put their uh, uh, tax – the state taxes in coordination with the federal taxes? There's a word for it and I'm, I'm missing it right now. Conformity. That's it. Conformity. Yeah. We're not in con- we're not in conformity with the federal government. Does that make it harder for you? Much more so. Uh, I've been in this uh, practice uh, since 2000, and I can tell you easily that this is the most difficult year that uh, we have ever had uh, from uh, the CPA side, um, both from the federal uh, law changes that we had to learn, um, get used to, uh, change how we think, how we do, how we work. And then you've got, as you mentioned, Minnesota, who did not uh, adopt the uh, new law. And so uh, we basically have to prepare everyone's income tax return twice. We have to prepare it under new federal income tax law and then a second time under old federal tax law. And For the, for the state um, return. Correct, correct. And Minnesota's forms are not very good to handle it. Um, quite frankly, and our software has not been great at handling it. And they were, and that's not a knock at them, but uh, 
the Minnesota did not uh, produce very good instructions. And so, yes, this has been by far the most challenging year. Okay. Uh, Let me ask you this. When you say Minnesota did not produce good software, uh, I want to ask you very specifically about that because uh, do they produce software for people like you who are professionals? I know that they are supposed to produce software for TurboTax and all the people who do the taxes on their own. Do they do a separate set for you as a professional? No, we purchase software from um, uh, the biggest provider in the country, and it's their job to interpret Minnesota forms and instructions. And so they're the you know the technicians behind the scenes that that produce the software that we use have to interpret those forms and instructions. And okay, that's where the the disconnect has been because those instructions just were not very good. Okay, let let me ask you this: Do you know, and, and maybe you don't know, but but there are an awful lot of people listening who do their own taxes. And, and I know it's more complicated this year. It's more complicated for everyone. But but what are you hearing about how Minnesota kind of directed TurboTax and, and the other tax programs that people use on their own? Are, are those going well or are people having trouble there? You know, I think people are also having trouble there. Um, for one thing, uh, TurboTax is, is kind of, uh, you know, it's a software that you have to answer questions and go through the input. But if you don't understand what's being asked, then the output is is incorrect. So, um, you know, as, as much as TurboTax and H&R Block have commercials telling people how easy it is to file your taxes, I can tell you it's, it's not easy anymore at all, as many. Right. And, and it, that's particularly so for Minnesota because we did not pass a law and, and change our tax code to conform with the changes in the federal law. Correct. Correct. Okay. All right. So so that being said, it is harder for you. Let me ask you, are your clients making mistakes in what they submit to you or is it more just you've got to figure it out? You know, it's probably more the latter. You know, it's it's up to me to figure that out. Um, You know, clients were also used to certain items which uh, which have changed. um, But uh, for the most part, um, producing tax forms and and whatnot for us uh, is, is kind of routine. And then if we feel we're missing items or um, need additional uh, information from the client, then that's more on our side to make sure it's correct. We're we're chatting with Wade Christensen. He's a CPA and partner in Fraling Anderson. Wade, are most of your people that have traditionally gotten refunds, are they getting them this year? Uh, I've seen quite a few less. I'll say that. Um, You know, the the IRS was kind of thrown – uh, to the wolves, if you will. You know, we got the new tax law federally passed by Congress. Uh, I think it was December 17th of 2017. And most everything was effective two weeks later as of one one eighteen. And um, the IRS was then forced to uh, amend the, the income tax tables for, for withholding for employees and didn't have the proper time. And, and I normally do not side with the IRS, but in this one, I kind of have to side with them. They, they just were not given enough time. You can't turn that around in two weeks and uh, change the entire system. Uh, we had income tax rate changes. We had differences in deductions, personal exemptions, which are uh, asked about on the W-4, um, are no longer uh, in law. Those are completely gone. So the form is, is kind of... Um, it's, it's inconsistent with, with current tax law uh, when you actually look at the Form W-4. And so most employees were having, as you mentioned, a little bit more in their paycheck um, 
at the end of the day, but we're having less income taxes withheld. And I think most people have gotten used to getting a tax refund at the end of the year. And that just has not been happening as much uh, this year. I can, I can say for sure a lot of my clients have um, been surprised at uh, at the difference in either their refund or the, the amount that they've owed because they were expecting to get um, uh, more back since uh, there were tax rate changes, et cetera. Got it. Okay, so so the the people who have traditionally gotten refunds, they're they're either not getting it or else are getting less than they had before. That's correct. Wow. Okay. Um, all right. That that is something that, that's very interesting. And and one of the things that um, and I know that that CPAs and professionals such as yourself always say you don't want to get the big tax refund because you're essentially giving an interest free loan to the government for the year. But an awful lot of people kind of like it. It's kind of like the little. You know, everyone likes getting a check in the mail or Correct. check, you know, right, right into your uh, checking account. It's just something that's kind of feels like an added bonus, even though I know it's not. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe someone uses it to, to take a trip, to pay off some credit card debt, um, to, um, you know, buy something for the kids. You know, any of those things that they've gotten used to over the years uh, and it didn't meet that uh, that level of expectation. Uh, as people have been filing here for the last uh, three months or so. Okay, and and so the the, the, the withholdings. Let me. We have to take a quick break. Uh, we're chatting with Wade Christensen. He's a CPA and partner with Frailing Anderson. Uh, when we come back, Wade, I want to ask you about what should people do if they were disappointed this year? If they were worried, should they go up to their HR and and ask to, to withhold more? I mean, what are the takeaways? And then also, what is this that we are hearing about, about the way that they are changing the W-2 and they're changing the withholding system, how that is going to affect people? We're going to get Wade Christensen's take after this. You are listening to News Talk 830. It is 620. Esme Murphy, along with producer Susan Blanche, we're talking with Wade Christensen. He's a CPA and partner at Frailing Anderson. I was just chatting in the break with our producer, Susan who says that uh, she normally expects that nice little refund of $2,500, and suddenly she owed all this money. Susan, that's terrible. Really tough. Um, what, what, what advice do you have for people like that? And now I'm getting nervous because I, I always get a nice little refund, and it kind of makes my day, makes my spring. And I haven't heard yet, and now I'm worried. Um, <laughs> what, 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 do, what do you advise people to do? Should they change their withholdings? You know, it, it would be the place that I would start, uh, but I would caution uh, just from this standpoint, Esme, I, I really think that um, now that the IRS has had a year to catch up to the new law, that this year should be better, I think, um, with the withholding tables. But to be safe, um, yes, I think it would be advisable to uh, consider uh, updating your Form W-4 with your employer um, as you claim less exemptions, the more that should be withheld. So for example, if on your W-4 now you have uh, a single status and you claim, say, three exemptions, but you then submit a new form and now you maybe move it down to one exemption, that would mean more gets withheld from your paycheck. So obviously your your paycheck goes down, but your overall withholding goes up uh, to help with uh, with increasing that uh, that either balance owing or excuse me, lowering the balance owing or increasing the refund. Other item I would have is one of the areas where there's typically a problem is uh, a married couple. Married couple, um, each employer does not know what the other one makes, and so you could have an issue where perhaps one spouse is not having enough withheld 
from their paycheck uh, as they should be. So uh, I would caution people uh, if they are married to take a look at it, um, perhaps think about lowering the number of exemptions, uh, maybe even um, uh, putting a status of uh, married but withhold at a single rate, which is an option on the form W-4. Uh, in the hopes that uh, this year, being 2019, we'll have a much better calm and steadiness when oh. it comes to uh, the, the refunds and balances owing. Okay, because it's, it's going to be the same basic story next year, isn't it? Well, I hope not. Just from the standpoint of again, the you know now but, the but, IRS... but you, you you know if if you if you ended up owing a lot this year, you're probably going to owe next year unless you change some things. If if, you you, if your income stays the same, yes, absolutely, you could. You could. Okay. My, my hope was that the, the 2019 tax tables that the IRS released um, uh, are requisite of how the new law actually works. Again, they, they just didn't have enough time for uh, for adopting or amending them for the new tax law. Yeah. Okay. Yikes. Okay. Let me ask you, what is this that we are hearing about a new W-2? They're going to change the whole system of, of, of withholdings. What are you hearing about that? Is that happening next year? And should people be concerned? Yes, I think they should. They um, should be, wait. They should be concerned. Yes. Oh no! Uh, no. <laughs> wait. <laughs> the bearer of good news, as I as I normally am on uh, April thirteenth. Um, you know, from my standpoint, uh, not only employees should be concerned, but employers should also be concerned. Um, the The new draft uh, form W four is basically meant to be uh, an estimate of your entire. Uh, income tax return. And what employer wants to know what your spouse is making, what you might be making from uh, from a side job, what interest income, what dividend income you're making. I know as as, as an employer myself, I, I that's not information I want to know about my employees. And then number two, uh, filing out a tax form is, is difficult enough. Now it seems as though this new draft form is going to ask employer uh, employees to recreate or estimate their entire income tax return uh, and then try and get the, the correct amount of withholding. It's asking for, again, interest, dividends, your, uh, the itemized deductions that you're expecting, the income tax credits. Um, how employees are going to sit down and do this, I, I really don't know. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's something that got delayed. It was uh, slated to maybe start this year. looks like 2020 is now the target. Okay, so, uh, so it's not going to happen... It's not going to happen this current year for the twenty nine taxes we pay in twenty nineteen. Correct, correct. Okay, but in twenty twenty, this is coming. Perhaps we've we've got uh, the IRS has asked for uh, comments on it, and I know that they will get several, and then we'll go through the process. They'll amend and update this form, and then uh, perhaps issue the finalized form. Um, so we we should expect it here within the new uh, the next few months uh, to possibly take effect for 2020. Wow, gosh! So it it could get even more complicated. Um, any any overall advice you have for people, whether they do their taxes individually or else they do seek a, a professional uh, and and get professional help with somebody like you? Well, the biggest thing is you know obviously. Uh, Getting professional help is um, is very much advised if you're a situation where perhaps you own a small business. Um, I can tell you that uh, the the new tax law included maybe the most complex 
uh, change in in uh, law, this uh, this new qualified business income deduction uh, that we've got for those that own perhaps a subchapter S corporation, a partnership, et cetera. Uh, you really need to seek professional advice to make sure that it's being calculated correctly, that you're understanding it, um, you know, making sure that you're having uh, communication with your advisor as well. Uh, during the year. It's not just a, a tax system anymore where you come in on, you know, April 13th and sit down and, and do your taxes and away you go. Uh, you really need to have good, strong communication throughout the year to keep up with stuff like this and um, understand what's going on and making sure that you're uh, you're doing the most to pay the, the little in tax as legal as possible. So it's always good to have great communication with uh, with your advisor, yeah, it's 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 very. I mean, this is this is really you know fascinates me because I, I you know obviously I have to pay taxes too, so I'm a little concerned about myself. It sounds like an awful lot of people are you know having to you know bite the bullet and and you know write a check to the government, which people don't like, especially if they're used to having a refund. But it's something that the president feels is working. I think there are some people who do feel it's working, but. It sounds like there are people who are unhappy, too, and it does sound more complicated. It sounds like it's going to get more complicated, uh, and it sounds like uh, a lot of people are going to have to figure this out over the next few years. Uh, so we're going, to have to, um, we're going to have to figure it out. Correct. I can tell you that uh, one of the big winners in this whole thing is my industry. There's no question about it. It's, uh, it's much more complex to fill out a return. Uh, it's, it, it is not easy to do anymore. Um, and the, the IRS, uh, completely redid, re-overhauled the, the entire form 1040. It is, it is a struggle to get through if you're not, uh, used to seeing it. Um, there are certainly positives in, in the new tax law. I don't mean to, uh, to only belittle it and, and talk about the negatives, but, um, uh, but it is a different system and, uh, people try and, you know, do it on their own. Uh, they may be paying more in income tax than they would by uh, by having a professional do it uh, for them. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, listen, um, you've made me really nervous, Wade. <laughs> <laughs> and I really appreciate your taking the time here. Um, he is Wade Christensen, uh, CPA and partner with Frailing Anderson. Obviously, this is by far your busiest time of the year, and I really appreciate it. We'll obviously – reach out to you in the future because it sounds like, especially with the, the if, if in fact this new W-4 goes through, that really could be a change that could create some issues and questions for an awful lot of people. Uh, good luck to you uh, getting through everybody's tax returns. Thank you so much, Esme. Okay, take care. Thank you. On. All right. Very nice of Wade to uh, weigh in. Is I mean, it, just think about it. What is your busiest, busiest, busiest day of the year? If you, if you, or work at the Minnesota State Fair, you're getting your corn ready at the corn stand or whatever. He took the time out on his busy, one of the busiest weekends of the year to talk to us. So that's pretty cool. Um, that really sounds troubling, to say the least. Um, anyway, we've got much more ahead on this edition of Saturday Night with Esme. Coming up in our next half hour, we are going to chat with Dr. Frank Rehm about a new form of drug-resistant bacteria. This is scary stuff. He's going to give us the lowdown on this and what we should know. And then also we're going to check in with Chris Wright, who is the president of Minnesota United. They had their first game today at New Allianz Field. Uh, It was a draw, 3-3, and we're going to hear how it went. So all that ahead, you are listening to News Talk 830. 
6.35 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. All right. Have you heard about this new deadly fungus, Candida auris? I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly. It is deadly. Doctors are not talking about it. Uh, When one person died in a hospital in New York City, they found the entire room, including the walls, the bed, the doors, the curtains, the phones, the sink, the whiteboard, the poles, the pump, all had to be removed because it was so contagious and this fungus was continuing to live there. Uh, It is somewhat of a medical mystery. Uh, Apparently, according to the New York Times reporter who wrote the story, a front page story on this a couple weeks ago, Many states aren't even being candid or upfront about the number of cases that they have. This is really, really scary stuff. Dr. Frank Rame is an infectious disease specialist with Alina Health, and he is joining us right now. Dr. Rame, thank you so much for coming on. Nice to be with you again. All right, absolutely. What is this, and is it here in Minnesota or in this region of the country? So we haven't had cases reported in Minnesota yet. They've been. Uh... New York, New Jersey, um, mostly, Illinois as well. Uh, but I, it'll get here. It's, uh, it's getting around. What exactly is it, and, and how was it detected? Because, you know, some people have gone in with what they thought was a severe ear infection with stuff oozing out of their ears, and it turned out not to be an ear infection. By Antibiotics didn't work. Then it's diagnosed. How did this so, kind so, of pop so that's, up? That's how it got its name, Canada RS. Uh, because it was first isolated from the ear of a Japanese woman, I think 2009. So it's been around for a while, but we haven't recognized it as causing hospital outbreaks except in the last two or three years. Uh, and it, it, is, it does have some uh, unusual and interesting properties, and uh, it also falls nicely within the uh, issue of uh, increasing microbial resistance because we use a lot of antimicrobials. Is that, I mean, is this because we're using too many antibiotics? Well, yes. Uh, well, we, we, we're going to have, we have to use some. We probably use too many. In this case, so let me just say what's unusual about this in the first place. First place, this particular species of candida seems to be unusually adept at becoming resistant. The resistant mechanisms in this one are not different from the ones in other candida species, but uh, it seems really good at, at, at achieving them. Second, it seems to be uh, unusually good at staying alive in the environment. You mentioned that. They had a very difficult time cleaning the rooms. The third is, oh, we've seen a lot of, of uh, resistance in viruses and bacteria. This is a fungus. And to date, most of the fungal resistance has been in people who are already on it. It's like an individual development of resistance. This one is coming to us from the environment already resistant. And that's probably because we use a lot of azoles in food preservation and uh, uh, crop on crops. And I'm sorry, what is it that we use in, in oh, food preservation that you mentioned? Yeah, so I, I, I'm sorry. I got myself off a little bit of jargon there. I shouldn't do that. Azoles is a class of antifungal agents. So, so, and, so th- these yeah. are used on, on foods in terms of in, in the growing process? Right. So they, they spray them on crops and all manner of crops, and then they, then they use them, they spray them uh, for food storage because they, they inhibit fungi. But anytime you use a lot of them, then the, the bugs learn to be resistant to them. Evolution is a pretty powerful opponent, and uh, the bugs are going uh, to do what they can to evade what we do to them. And in this case, this bug has, has gotten good at it. And it's coming to us, actually, out of the environment. It's not developing in the individual person because there are a lot of antimicrobials we're using in that person. 
So, so the scientists and, and medical uh, personnel such as yourself believe that this could be linked to antifungal agents that for years have been sprayed on, on plants to prevent fungus for, and in the storage uh, phase of, of the food system to, to prevent fungus from growing. And somehow this Candida auris emerged already resistant. And that's you got it right. That's it. Okay. And how did it get to humans? Well, that's a, that's a harder question to be sure. Oddly enough, it looks like this particular strain has has achieved the same uh, 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 ability or the same uh, uh, challenge to our intensive care units in three different parts of the world. Excuse me, four different parts of the world at roughly the same time. That's hard to explain, but the but in. Uh, in Japan, in South America, in Africa, and in Europe and the United States, there seem to be four different uh, strains when you do the uh, sequence analysis of the genes. So that's odd, too. Uh, why this would happen simultaneously in four different areas is, uh, is, is not clear. Uh, and then how it got to us from the environment. I, I presume we get exposed to environmental Canada all the time, uh, and, and most of the time it doesn't do us much harm. And once it once it gets into us, you get one infection, and then you get into an ICU, and then then that ICU becomes contaminated, and you have to work like the Dickens to get it out of that ICU. Right, and and I mean they can't just use. It's it's a little hard for me to understand how they can't clean it. I mean, isn't can't you just put bleach on a wall and get rid of it? Well, uh, you 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 are puzzled as well. Uh, this one seems to be particularly good at resisting standard disinfectants. Now, I, I, I've got to say I don't have a, a good handle on exactly what disinfectants have been tried and uh, why they have failed. I haven't seen a lot of publication on that. I just know that they've had trouble getting rid of it from the environment. And and, and how how is it spread? I mean, you're saying that, that this has not cropped up in, in Minnesota. Are you saying it hasn't cropped up yet, or, or oh, yeah, perhaps exactly. has it cropped up here and not been diagnosed? Uh we, uh, so these bugs get around, and I don't have any doubt that if we haven't had any yet, uh, and I'm not aware of any yet, I mean, I don't know if there haven't been any yet, uh, 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 they'll get here. There's another wrinkle to this particular one in that it takes a fairly sophisticated microbiology laboratory to distinguish it from other Canada species, which are sort of like it, so that it, 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 it's not going to be recognized in hospitals that don't have a uh, fairly sophisticated, well, actually highly sophisticated microbiological technique uh, capabilities. It, it, are, are you more likely to contract it in a hospital, or, or is yeah. it just out in the environment? So it, it takes it takes a, a damaged person to uh, to uh, become infected by this. So and somebody with a weakened immune system. For your audience, so this is not something that's going to affect you. Unless you get into an ICU, but when you get into an ICU, we're giving you antibacterials which change your floor. We're putting holes in you with IVs and and catheters and and uh, breathing tubes, uh, and you're weak because you're sick from all sorts of other stuff. So an ICU is a is a place where bugs that are that are kind of wimps can get around, particularly if they're resistant to antibiotics. So actually, this bug is probably a little bit wimpy compared to others. It, it, it's, it, if, if you got it, you'd be less likely to have trouble with it if you got one of the others. But it's the one that's going to stay in the, in the hospital because it's resistant to antibiotics and it's good at, at contaminating the environment. What, how are they treating it? Let's say you come down with this. 
you're in the hospital, you've got some a whole host of other problems, and you come down with this. I mean, what are they? How can they help you? So there's another class of antifungals called the the echinocandins. That's too much for much of a jargon word. I'm sorry, but there's a separate class of of antifungals that looks like it's effective against this organism much of the time. I don't know the, the details, but I do know, well, I do know that, that that must not have worked for all of them. So, so if, you look at, if you look at this organism in, in, in its entirety, only about 5% of them are resistant to the echinocandins, although, although many more of them are resistant to the azoles, much higher fraction. I, I, I presume that in the places that have had a lot of trouble with this, and their hospitals have had you know, dozens and dozens of cases, uh, that they must have an unusually resistant strain. Usually there is a class that works, but they, these hospitals must have had one that's developed resistance even to the echinocandins. All right. It, it, what is sort of the prognosis here in terms of, of how science, uh, are people studying this right now, or are they trying to, you know, get a handle on it? I mean, what's sort of the status of, of, of the battle against this? Oh, it's a very intensive study of this organism. It's been maybe for the last even last year or two. So, you know, the, the, you, you started this with, with, with concern about secrecy. The, so this has been this has been news in the ID community in general for at least two years. There have been been uh, uh, strong statements about concern about this organism uh, that had circulated in the ID community, infectious diseases community, for for a couple of years. And there's been a lot of work on this organism in the last year or two, just because it, it is new and it is threatening. Well, I'm saying what the secrecy that I'm referring to was reported in the New York Times as the reporter did sort of a story who wrote the story about this, wrote a story about kind of behind the scenes of what it was like to try and write the article. And he said oftentimes he was coming up with problems in terms of dealing with public health agencies that were reluctant to acknowledge how severe the problem was in their particular state, which is somewhat unusual because they are supposed to theoretically share what's going on in their state so we can all be safer and healthier and and more aware of what's going on. But uh, there seemed to be a reluctance to do that. Is that something that you've encountered or or are you saying that within the medical community, just within the type? There's the secrecy into a couple different different issues. The first is this this issue about the general concern. So the the ID infectious disease and public health community has been shouting about this for at least two years in general. And then there's the question of whether or not these uh, uh, hospitals have reported cases of the health department. So, so Minnesota has a very broad uh, requirement. Anything weird, basically, you are required to report to the health department. And there's not been no indication that any of these uh, uh, hospitals have been reluctant or have not reported things properly to their health departments. What, what they're talking about is individual doctors talking about individual cases in individual hospitals, and that's a much more circumscribed kind of, kind of secrecy than, than, than the Times report tended to, tended to suggest. I mean, honestly, if, if I, you shouldn't have five different doctors from Abbott Northwestern Hospital talking about their individual cases. You should do that through some sort of uh, yeah, common hospital entity, mm-hmm. and, and the hospital uh, that, that's you can't really expect them to offer it if there's been no questions about it. But if there are questions about it, you can expect the hospital to respond. And, in fact, in our state, if we report them to the health department, which we would, and you ask the health department, does Abbott Northwestern have a have a, uh, a problem here, have they had cases, our health department would disclose that. 
the, the reports of the health department are considered public data in our state. Right. Well, that, that, that's that's good to know. That yeah. that's certainly been my experience. Well, listen, um, Dr. Rain, thank you so much for enlightening us about this uh, really scary uh, infectious disease, this uh, fungus that uh, is obviously spreading, and that uh, people are having. People such as yourself or experts are having trouble containing. Uh, we appreciate your time this evening. Have a great night. Good. Thank you much. Bye bye. Okay, Dr. Frank Rain. There, he's an infectious disease specialist with Alina Health. All right, folks, we do have to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to check in with Chris Wright, the president of Minnesota United. They had their first game at that incredible new stadium uh, right off Interstate 94. Uh, it was a draw. They, they were ahead, and, and I guess the uh, New York team tied it up. But it sounds like things went really well. But we're going to hear from Chris Wright coming up in just a few minutes. You are listening to News Talk 830. It is 6.53 in the Twin Cities. This is an historic day, the first game for Minnesota United at their beautiful new stadium, Allianz Field. Chris Wright, the president of Minnesota United, kind enough to join us. I know the game was a draw, Chris, but how overall, how did things go? On your station, Esme, uh, and, and thank you for all of the coverage that WCCO has given this this opening it's been absolutely incredible well it's incredible i mean this is a huge deal it's 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 our honor to cover it on on so on so many levels um i you know the thing i'm most thankful for right now are our fans um twenty thousand people inside of allianz field on an empty seat uh today and they supported this club from start to finish but it, it was so obvious that they were just enjoying the moment they were enjoying whatever their relationship is with the club their relationship with the team um, and they really got behind this team, and they made this place come alive. And it's one thing to build a stadium, design a stadium, uh, but it's got to be built for the fans. And when the fans arrived today, all 20,000 of them, they really made this place their home. And uh, that's one of the things that I'm most thankful for today. All right. Well, I, and I must imagine that, like, even even though you know the fans are going to come and, and you know it's going to be a big deal, there's part of you on, on opening you know, day you must have a little bit of jitters, like going, "Oh my gosh, is this all going to really finally come together?" What, what was that like for you? Well, there, there are so many pieces to the operation of a stadium, and uh, you know, about eighteen months ago, when I first came on board, we uh, went to our ownership and said, "You know, we we want to self-manage the stadium. Um, we don't want to bring in a third party." And the reason for that is that we want to control the fan experience from A to Z. Um, and, and that's taking that, that's taking a big bite. Um, that, that's a massive undertaking. Uh, we had over 200 part-time workers today uh, working as ushers, ticket takers, et cetera, et cetera. We had another 100 working the concessions. We had Atomic Data, one of our partners here on Wi-Fi. We, we had to get 20,000 people into our stadium. We had to serve them, um, you know, beverages, food and beverages. We had to... Uh, entertain them through our game operations people. We had to park them. Um, we had to get them out of the stadium at the end of the game safely. All of those things, um, you know, are enough to keep you up on a night. Um, <laughs> and we seem to have pulled that off uh, just remarkably well. So I'm so proud of our staff. I'm so proud of um, everybody who works for Minnesota United that gave our fans just the time that really they deserve today. 
Right. And, and it's, you know, I'm old enough to remember when, when people really doubted whether soccer could really make it, could really bring in the crowd. You had 20,000 people there on on an evening or a late afternoon where it was, you know, in the 30s. And the enthusiasm for this team and for soccer is so evident in this community. Uh, obviously, you I'm sure you never had any doubts about that, did you? Uh, we we really didn't, and and that's why we built the stadium the way that we built the stadium to to hold those nearly twenty thousand people. I mean, we have we have fourteen thousand five hundred season ticket members, um, you know, who bought all seventeen games this season. We have five thousand people on a wait list to become a season ticket member, wow. and the reason that we're not selling them season tickets is because we want, you know, we want regular people just to be able to come into our stadium every single game new people, um, show them the sport, introduce them to the sport, make sure that they understand that this is a, an incredible growing community. We we live in a very diverse community. There Absolutely. Are and Chris, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off there because we're running out of time. But congratulations. You, you, you guys did it. And, and just on social media, we're seeing fabulous reviews. All right. Chris Wright, thank you so much, sir. Keep it here. You're listening to News Talk 830. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.